1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Hi, friends. Welcome to another special episode of Rev Recovery. And special because folks have let us know that they wanted, they love our interviews, but they also love when Justin and I talk about things that are going on or a topic that maybe some of our Patreons have brought up. Speaking of which, you can always become part of the Patreon community, which we like to call the Recovery Room, by going to patreon.com Recovery Podcast. But today, it's just Justin and I. And we, I feel like we should give the disclaimer. By the way, I'm Sarah Heath, and this is... Justin Gentry. <laughs> we just hop right into this. You, this might be the very first episode you hit play on, and I'm just assuming we've known each other forever. We've known each other for years. <laughs> Year. I mean, well, hi, friends. Hi. This is what I'll say. I, I feel like the disclaimer needs to be made that Justin and I have been talking for an hour now, <laughs> just about life and catching up. And so we we understand that sometimes it's weird to just hear a conversation between two friends. And so we're going to be a little bit intentional about what this conversation is about, but it's something that keeps coming up for us, which is this idea of, you know, when you're when you're learning new ways of being in the world as an adult and new ways of dealing with your mental health and new ways of dealing like new lenses, whether it's because you've had a faith shift or deconstruction or you're leaving a career to start a new career, your body that you've never been paying attention to ever before, you're starting to learn to pay attention to this body. And sometimes alarms go off that are like misplaced alarms. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. And well, being scared is a normal part of life and especially in the normal part of life for a, a child. Like I think of both of my kids, they enter into a new situation or, and there's, I mean, when you're a kid, all kinds of situations are new all the time. You've only been around for like a couple of years. Like most of that's been at home. And so being scared is normal. And if you have a good parent, you know, when you're scared, they're like, yeah, you are scared. How does that feel? Like, let's walk through this together. And I think as adults, you, you assume at a certain point that like, oh, those feelings are going to be gone at some point right. or, or they won't, they'll never be that strong. No. And, you know, especially for someone who was in ministry for a number of years, I got used to that, that scene, if you will. Or that, you know, that, that culture that just, you know, going in on a Sunday and doing my thing and my work week. And even if I, you know, was to switch churches, it was never anxiety producing because there was just certain, you know, certain memes, certain just ways of being that just that's who you are. And this is also just for people that were in church culture, not even necessarily working yeah. at a church. If you would just like my, the rhythm of my life is set by church for whatever reason. And then your faith deconstructs, you start to question things, you leave, you know, if you're a minister, you switch careers. And all of a sudden, those like those feelings of, oh, shit, this is a new experience. 
and I feel like I'm five again. <laughs> and new is scary. But there's not a mom and dad there. You might not believe there's a God there either. So, <laughs> right. So all of a like, sudden. All of a sudden, it's like, it's like being on a, on a lonely five-year-old, except you have adult expectations and adult risks and adult consequences. So, of course, you have a panic attack. That's that's so all of this. All of this stems from, not all of this. This is a conversation we've been having in our Discord channel with folks who are like switching jobs and having weird experiences of like, oh, why do I, why do I feel this fear, this panic, this whatever? And then add to, I went on a job interview on Friday and uh, it is not for very much pay. It is definitely in a field I am so fascinated by. Uh, there's lots of room to grow within the company, but it's never going to be making what I made as a pastor. But like, as I was in the space, it's a really cool space, guys. I had this like a panic come in my body after the, so I had a great interview. The girl on the spot was like, when can you start? Also, here's someone else in a different part of this company. Can you start with that as well? But it would also give me time for, you know, just to share a little bit with hopefully not oversharing, but you know, Justin and I have been working on potentially a business thing with our other friends that has to do with this, but does, you know, so it's all this stuff. And I would be able to work in a co-working space with, within this company, like all this stuff. Right. But it all felt like a problem. So being offered something that was good felt like a problem because I don't know how to trust my decisions. And that's something that for me has come up again and again and again since leaving church. Before, when I could just say God decided this or the Holy Spirit decided this, that takes a lot of the onerous off of me, right? And I felt safe. It's kind of like the helicopter parents that for a while, that's a good deal for the kid. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and psychologically, and I'm, this is going to sound like a dig at religion, but it's really not. But it is a psychologically comforting thing to believe in God in that way. Like, right. I don't know that it is necessarily the most healthy thing long term, but like it is very psychologically insulating to be like, yep, God did that. God's in control. Yeah, if that didn't Whatever. work out, it's not because it wasn't for it was because it wasn't for me. Now, the funny thing yeah. is, as much as my like faith shifts have happened, I still believe in the the truth of that, that what's for me will come to me. What's not for me will not come for yeah. me. And the thing that got my body out of the panic, like, friends, I went and had two seltzers at lunch with my friend because he was like, I'm going to get you a seltzer. And like, you know, drinking is not the way we deal with things, honestly. But it was this like, and seltzers aren't that strong. So if I was making that choice, but it was like sitting and sort of mulling through all this stuff. It was that I kept coming back to my friend saying over and over again, you've made a lot of decisions that were different than you've ever made before in the last year. And they've all turned out, even if they didn't turn out the way they thought you thought they would, they've all turned out. So what if this is just like another part of the adventure? And I still believe in some ways that's similar to the old belief narrative and system that it's more helpful for me to believe that the world, the universe, God is for me. and that I don't have to force everything. I don't have to, there is no perfect choice. So literally my friend was like, Sarah, you, 
your choice isn't do I take this job and move to Japan? The the choice is do I take this job and if it doesn't work out, I leave it. And so my body is nervous and scared and my fight or flight comes in a little quick because I think having come out of church structures, whatever that may be, we feel like we have to commit to things in a way that feels very heavy. Yeah. And I just want to say, like, I think, Sarah, your experience is normal. Totally. Like, and in in a way that I think isn't acknowledged, and not even just in the church, but I think in certain parts of the corporate world either. Okay. Like, like feel, feeling nervous or openly displaying any kind of hesitancy or something. It just isn't necessarily, that's, that's a, that's an American culture capitalism thing Mm. that like gets God put on top of it in the church, I think. Right. So, but I I think that that's normal and that's okay. And, and I think if, and especially because you're finding out new ways to be in the world on top of doing the mundane things of like looking for a job and like that, I think that makes it a little more complicated and, a little more scary. And and again, that's normal. I'm wondering if commitment issues, and I would love for our listeners to chime in on this. Are commitment issues a problem for folks who have left faith communities? That would be an interesting poll to put out. I think for me, I don't know if it's so much commitment, but like when you're talking about like, I like still believing that the universe has something for you. Like I, I, there's a part of me that agrees, but there's also this new much more critical part of me. And I, I'm still discerning if it is beneficial to me or not. You know, we talk about the Enneagram a lot. And so there's a part of me that's like, the Enneagram is helpful. The Enneagram is useful. But there's also another part of me that's like, the Enneagram is bullshit. And <laughs> has no peer-reviewed studies r- relating to it. And it's all just people's egos putting a number on it. And I don't, I don't know that and there is another part of me because, you know, truth is objective in the sense that evangelicals tell you that, um, or at least I was told that, like, I get caught in the pole of which one is right. Which one is the, tr- which one is the truth? Is it useful? Is it not? Is it, is it true that the universe has a plan for me? Or is it just me telling myself nice story that's not true? And my obsession becomes which one of those is true? Which one's the right one? What is the most optimized, scientifically backed way to get the most efficient use of my time or whatever? Oh, gosh. You know, like, like, what is the most efficient system to govern my life by? And it's, that's a lot of capitalism, but it's also a lot of evangelicalism. And I'm, I'm finding that being the thing, the thing that got me out of unhealthy spaces, which was being critical and I, I use critical in a good way like critical thinking yeah 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 thinking through challenging but there's a gr- degree to which that becomes harmful because right. i'm overanalyzing literally everything right and figuring out the difference between those two things is it's a real problem for me so like i i i want to i want to return in some ways to a much a little a little more faith-based lifestyle <laughs> in the sense where I can start being like, yeah, the universe is for me. Cause there's a part of me that's like, nope, it's a cold, dark place out there. Like <laughs> which uh, and even if you want to go from just like the studies, yeah. Cause I, you know, those of you who do know me know that I 
am obsessed with reading <laughs> psychology studies and science because mm -hmm. I find it so fascinating. But when you read the studies, people who believe the, the universe or world or God is for them experience more happiness. Yes. And it's not huge. It's not like a, you know, but we know this from our experiences with people too. So the people who think that, yeah, like, of course, are the people who often are leading lives that may not hold the success metrics that we may think, but they're happier. And for me, it's like, what is success if it's not being content and great in your own body and feeling good about where things are? And like the people that I find magnetically attractive to be around as friends and just like mentors are the people who they have done things, but they also are people who just have this like innate belief in good. And, and that's hard because when you want to dismantle some toxic notions of toxic positivity, it, it's hard to hold both intention. And I think sometimes you're going to go a whole direction. Like we were talking about when you come out of systems that didn't let you critique, you become an overcritic, right? It's like you can't yeah. figure out the balance because you are in some ways a child or an adolescence in these things, right? Yeah, so. I, I think I think there is a whole population of people and the you know ex-evangelical or deconstruction or sure. community or the former pastor community that we're having to figure out these things that we should have, that I think biologically we should have had figured out by like 18 to 25. Yeah. But for whatever reason, just didn't have to be addressed because we had God, we had communities, we had churches, whatever you want to call it. And that isn't even to say that all those things are bad, inherently bad, but they were dialed up to 11. Right. And a lot of had a lot of shame heaped onto them. And so it's hard then to disentangle. What is it that I want? What is it that my community wanted? And, and, and it's, it's hard to admit as someone who's in their forties now to be like, I don't know that I know how to figure out what I want. Yeah. So that's a thing that, you know, Justin and I talk a lot about offline because we both have worked in coaching spaces. Uh, Justin, has mentioned before, but has done a lot of health coaching and just, just, and managing people. So you've done a lot of what would be considered like coaching. And I've been coaching is it's really hard because it feels easier for me to help clients figure out what they want. I will have incredible generative conversations with a client in the morning, maybe three clients in a row where I'm like, they are figuring out what they want. And then in the afternoon, absolutely freeze thinking about what do I want? And I think <laughs> part of it is a need to normalize that we were sold not just in the church, but also in America, the West really, and in a lot of other places too, that like, <laughs> that we had to have a purpose. And from the time you're a child, what do you want to do? And I keep saying to my friends, like this job that I would take, it's not a career. And they're like, but you have a, you want to, business, Sarah, like you, you coach humans, like you weren't looking for another career. Like yeah. you've had a career, but it's that purpose driven. Sorry, Rick Warren to steal your thing is problematic when it, when it's like, there's one thing. And as soon as someone finds that one thing, they're so happy. Like the number of people I coach that are like teachers that like teaching, but they thought that once they started doing the thing that they were you know, made to do, 
they'd be happy. And, and even like listening to Ryan Reynolds talking about buying this soccer team, he real like he loves acting, but he's also still feeling these calls, if you will, or invitations from God, the divine the universe, whatever you want to say, the world to do more than just that. And I think we've done ourselves a disservice by and, and created little anxious humans who have to know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, uh, and you can't play around with it. Yeah, you can't play. And that's even in social media spaces. If you want to have a brand, if you want to be seen, you want to be recognized, you want to have a following, like you have to have a niche. Like you have What's to have your niche? This, this is what your niche is. And this is what you do. And, you know, and we've been coached in this as well. Like, oh, yeah. And, and there's a part of me that's like, okay, that's great. You know, obviously we're in the evangelical space, we're specific to pastors, you know, but we pull in a lot of other people. But at the same time, it's like, I, I don't, why do you, why does a person have to be reduced to this? And it's, I, I think it's just recognizing that these forces are at play in our lives and recognizing that they are forces and they aren't, and those, that doesn't mean they're reality in the sense oh, of yeah, yeah. this is like the truth about the universe. Everyone's born to produce like that. I think that's a very capitalistic lie that we mm. are born into and we just you live were that meant way to live for so yeah. much more. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, this is, this is going to turn into like an, a very anti-capitalist episode. <laughs> uh, that's not it, but it is it. I mean, it is it, because that's what influenced our faith spaces yeah. is this idea that, you know, I remember when I was going through so much and a pastor saying to me, no one wants to follow a sad pastor. Yep. What, what he's really saying is, you're not being efficient when you're sad. You're and not producing. Right. We can't package sad. That's not helpful. And we buy into these ideas. And I, I think acknowledging them, it's kind of like that child that's screaming. So when I was sitting at the, at the restaurant with my friend, who, by the way, we're going to, in a minute, get to this, but sitting in that restaurant with a friend, having my little freak out, and then having that friend remind me of truths, like, okay, that's great that your body's telling you that if you make this decision and it's wrong, you're going to like live in a cardboard box. But let's remember like, Sarah, you made, here are the decisions you made that felt really wild to you. You left a job that had full benefits, a retirement package that was awesome. And you made, you know, close to six figures or you did make six figures or whatever. I'm not, you know, whatever you're happier than I've ever seen you before. Yeah, your life is chaotic. But when did chaotic mean not happy? And I think, especially for those of us who are neuroatypical, we always think if we get that one organization system or that one thing that's going to make everything less chaotic instead of saying, you know what? This is who I am. And I'm always going to be going down rabbit holes and I'm always going to be afraid and there's things that I'm, my first reaction is always going to be this, but I've made so many great decisions in the past that felt scary at the time and they've turned out okay, or they haven't turned out okay. And I've been able to like write the course and adjust. Yeah. You, you you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. And well, friends, we are going to take a break for some commercials. We're going to do it on purpose. Sometimes we know we just interrupt the conversation just like in the middle of it. So we're going to try to be more intentional to ADHD people going to be trying to be more intentional about slicing up our time. But when we come back, we're going to talk about the things that are that help us when we get to this place of 
fear stepping into something new. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. So when you get to these places, Justin, because you've had to make some, I mean, you left your company. Mm-hmm. To go to another company, yeah. you've, you know, you've made all these decisions, whether they're the perfect decision or not. When you're, how do you kind of calm your nervous system? How do you allow yourself to feel okay in the tension? You know, when, because really we want to, some people are like, I want to talk about, get you guys to talk about mental health or all this sort of stuff. And so, which makes me laugh that Friday I had this like meltdown. And yet I think that's part of it, right? Yeah. Well, I think, I think, I think being, I think you, especially you're very good at being open and authentic about your lived experience. <laughs> and so like, you're like, oh, I had a panic attack and that's like, and that's your lived experience. And that's true. And not many people would disclose that. So I think that naturally leads people to think like, I have panic attacks too. Sarah, tell me about how you, you know, and right. I don't have yeah. to be clear. I did not have an actual medical panic attack. I have gotten close to those before, but I just, yeah, I had an anxiety anxiety avalanche. episode. Yeah, I had an anxiety avalanche. Yeah. So all that to say, like, we are both very open, honest about who we are and and that that can generate a desire for people to learn. Hey, what do you do? I but I'm going to preface this whole conversation to be like, this is I'm, whatever I say is what works for me and may work for you. I am not a psychologist. I am not a mental health care professional. I am just a person with ADHD trying to live in this world. (laughs) Uh, And there are some things that have helped me that may be life-changing for you. And there may be things that have worked for me that you're like, this works really? And And that's fine. I think it's, I am trying to learn, and this is something I'm not very good at, you know, and when I was in my previous job before I took the job that I'm in now, I, I was trying to, f- I'm trying to suss out the difference between what is a, like a growing pain and what is being in misery. Mm. And what I mean by that is what is just like, this is stressful, but I'm learning, I'm growing. It's actually going to make me better. Like this stress is going to make me better because stress isn't, this is going to sound controversial, but stress by itself is not bad. Yeah. Okay. Yes, Absolutely. And also, you know, I think sometimes <laughs> I have to say this because I'm thinking of uh, this girl that I used to mentor who I think is just fantastic, but she's definitely way more evangelical than we are, posted a meme of Jesus like stomping on someone, like kind of like stepping on them like grapes so that they can be refined into into what's next. And she's like, sometimes it feels like Forget the caption, but I was like, yeah. oh no. So like yeah. the, mm, no. the stress is worth it because you're being formed into the thing. So there's like two extremes, right? Yeah. Like all stress is bad. We need to feel good all the time. Or it's just God molding you. You know, this is the test molding yeah, no you matter into the thing. How terrible it is, God's behind it and it's gonna right. be for your good. And that's right. you know, that 
that's where I begin to go like, mm, that's psychologically damaging. Because uh, I live that. Right? I, yeah, I think they both are. And and so and I'm and again, because I came more from a culture mindset, whatever you want to call it, that's like put up with as much pain as possible because Jesus died on a cross. Right. You know, like <laughs> because how you're is, naughty, how, you know, because you're <laughs> a little bit naughty. Because uh, you looked at porn. <laughs> so, so you're depressed today. Just suck it up, buttercup. Like that's kind of the like culture that I came from. Um, so I am trying to learn the difference between what is like, you need to leave. Like this is toxic. Right. This is bad. This is pain that is not productive versus pain that is generative. I've, I've, I've never, and I've heard women talk about this as well. Like the pain of childbirth being this mm. way, like this is pain that is productive uh, versus, versus like, I, my, my arm got crushed. Right. That's not pain. That's productive. So like pain on its own and stress on its own, isn't necessarily bad. I, I need to learn how to accept that, but also to learn the difference between what is a pain or a stress, like working out is painful and stressful. Like the biomarkers in your body are, that was a stressful experience, but it does something good. And so I was learning as I was transitioning from this one job to another, I was beginning to realize that my previous job, as good as it was, was not growing me, stretching me, bringing me stress that was actually good. It was just, it was just stressing me out. And that's when, you know, another job came along and I was like, I, I think that this job is going to be stressful and challenging, but it's going to be stressful and challenging in a different way. And how you discern that, I mean, that's, that is a person to person thing. A lot of that isn't, you really don't discover till hindsight, but it's again, if you're dreading going to your job, like for prolonged periods of time, that's maybe a sign. Yeah. If, if you are finding that you are drinking maybe more than you should on the weekends to forget about your job, like, or even to just de-stress de from your job, like you mm -hmm. can't do that naturally. You just, you know, that's, that's when you begin to like, go to hmm. begin discerning and asking those questions. And how does stress appear in your body? You know, are you in pain all the time? I would have like hip pain and I still have some hip pain and stuff, but just like, I, this is bad. I'm, tr and I'm wanting to disconnect from my life and my children. And, and so I don't feel like I have space in, in myself and that, and that's where I begin to go. Okay. And again, it's not, it's not that the job was bad or there were abusive people. It just, the, the fit wasn't, it wasn't a good fit and discerning what is not a good fit versus what is hard right now that's not easy but that's something that it has helped me even to learn how to frame things that way because some things can be just not a good fit yeah and, and that doesn't mean they're bad or wrong that doesn't mean that someone's evil or like this company is terrible or this church even is terrible it's just this isn't a fit and there's not a moral judgment there the moral judgment comes in when you try to tough it out, try to make it work. I think that's when you start going off the rails, when you're in an environment that you can't grow in. And, and I think that some of, I'm not going to say modern psychology is bad, but I think a lot of our pop psychology, I'll, I'll say, is, is geared more around like helping you reframe a bad environment. And certainly a lot of pop theology is that. And, and I think it's okay to be like, no, this environment and I just don't mix and it's okay. I would not get mad at a fish for not being able to survive in a desert, you know, 
And I think we do ourselves a disservice by trying to fit ourselves in environments that just aren't for us. And I think that's a, the, the specific, what this, you know, all came out of was that some of the decisions I've made in the last couple of months are anchoring me to the area I live in. And that's been overwhelming for me as someone who has kind of been, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Away We Go, but they are trying to find their, they find out they're pregnant and then they try to figure out where it is that they want to live. And so they oh, travel. Oh yeah. Is that John they Krasinski? Tra- mm-hmm. that? Yeah, and that's a good movie. I love that. It's such okay. a good movie. It's a good movie, particularly for those of us who don't feel like we have a home base. We don't feel rooted anywhere. And so I made the choice a couple months ago to move my Airstream here. And it was not just moving my Airstream here. It was rooting myself to the community where my Airstream is because it's on the land of some of my dear friends who I think what happened for me, and I don't mean to give away the movie, but guys, you guys have had time to watch it. So like, this is not a spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like it, came out, gonna... it came out in 2009. I'm <laughs> yeah, sorry. If you're gonna watch it, you're like... <laughs> but eventually they figure out that where they want to be is where they were. Mm-hmm. And I think for me this year of like idolizing or making other places seem like they might be the best place to be. And then discovering, like, I think I have been searching so hard for what I already had. And part of that is, like, again, going back to consumerism, TV and commercials make us think, like, we're always missing something. Because if we're always missing something, then we're great customers because we're going to buy the next thing, do the next thing, you know. And they teach us that even when they're talking to Justin and I about like growing a podcast or growing a business. It's always like, you got to find the pain point of the person, which you're like, oh, mm-hmm. that sounds sweet. But what that does is it like makes all of us internally searching for the thing that's missing, right? Well, then there must be something missing. And so for me, I feel like the last year and a bit, as I've been trying to figure out where I want to live, because I love my family, I want to live closer to my family, but then I don't really, the Southeast is fine. It's got a lot of great things about it. Um, I don't love the weather. I do live in an absolutely gorgeous weather blaze. So when I'm moving an Airstream, the thing that like I love so much closer to where I live, what I'm saying is I'm committing myself not just to this, to at least a certain amount of time. The thing that's been really helpful for me since leaving ministry, a local church ministry, is to remind myself that if this isn't right, I can change it. And that that's not a lack of commitment. It's just saying, I'm going to learn to trust myself and my gut. And that when I'm in a moment, when I'm in an experience, I'll know if it's not the right thing. And even as I say that, that's very hard for me to say. Um, Because I think I see again, women, we learn to say, I think, because I learned to not trust myself. I learned to look for what's missing. I learned all of these things because that's kind of how all of us are brought up in any system, whether Christian or not, uh, just in America, is looking for the thing that's missing and then trying to find the buying the thing that will fix that thing, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody else has it together. You're the only one. You're the only shit show that exists. And the truth is, the only thing that has been really helpful for me in the last year in learning to trust myself has also been having friendships that are so real that they know me and that they allow me to process things without trying to fix it for me. 
but it doesn't always feel right. Like I, I want to acknowledge too, as we've talked about friendships, like learning how to make these kinds of friends is also feels a little bit weird. You know, I I've shared before my friendships were can be really weird for me because I was so one-sided for so long. And then I think I took up too much space for a little while because it was like learning how to take up any space. And so I just took up a lot of space. And so all of this has been balancing out to sometimes the thing that is helpful for me is to have certain people in my life who I've said, hey, I'm about to make a really big decision. You know how I do with change. I'm going to need you to remind me because my the way my central nervous system works, I'm going to go into panic mode. We know this, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. So I'm going to need you to remind me of all the times I've made decisions that were to my advantage in some way, shape or form. That may sound so elementary, but we have to remember guys that for some of us, learning to know what we want is, is the biggest battle of our lives. That sounded very dramatic and very like a Christian book, the biggest battle of our lives. But it's true. I think it was much easier to figure out what other people wanted me to do and be. You've just given me a book idea, like every person living under capitalism's battle. Like- <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely the name of this episode. <laughs> every person under, living like, under capitalism's battle. Like, yeah. I, I, and it, again, it's like, I, I'm not going to get too deep in my own personal economics, but I do think that in America, this system, the economic system that we live in, runs the show for the way we develop psychology, the way we develop theology. It's, it's, it's our, it's our God, honestly, in a lot of ways. And I think recognizing that as you begin to deconstruct, even like I, I was always, I'm always searching in my life for the, for, you know, Tim Ferriss calls it optimal minimal. Like what is the most optimal thing for me to do with the least amount of effort? You know, I approach workouts that way. I approach relationships that way. Sometimes I approach my work that way. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but when it becomes everything to where like you've failed, if you've not done the most efficient thing where, you know, because growing pains aren't efficient, it is not efficient for Justin or Sarah to do something new and have to figure out how that works and to be panicked about it and to be upset and to be, and to, and to, and to overcorrect. Sometimes for months, maybe even years, like from in my case, it took me years to kind of get equilibrium. That's not optimal. That's not minimal. <laughs> stay, in a, stay in a toxic system because at least you know how it works. And that's, and so we have to recognize that this is the way we as just as a culture think and to be able to interrogate where it is misapplied. I'm not going to say it's entirely evil. I'm not going to be that person, but I think when it comes to our own mental health, it becomes overapplied or misapplied. And we need to be okay with a little bit of mess and a little bit of inefficiency and a little bit of growing pains as adults, even though that's embarrassing. It is embarrassing to be in your 40s and feel like you're figuring things out for the first time, whatever it is. Uh, you know, and as and as a man in the United States, like having to ask for help over oh often especially someone who's been in leadership positions their whole life and where you're the one being asked for help all the, you know, like, like I'm the one people go to, I don't go to people. And I know like saying it out loud, that sounds so toxic and so unhealthy, but that's, that's the water I swam in for most of my life. 
And that's not even like, if my mom hears this, my mom will probably be like, I didn't teach you that. Like, of course you didn't, but I still picked it up somewhere. It just, it's sitting back in, in, in a playful awareness of the things that maybe aren't helping you anymore. And the scripts that we were given in church world and in America world, how, how they maybe aren't actually going to be the thing that helps you into the next phase of your life. That's, and that's that again. Yeah. That's the challenge of a lifetime there. It's the being okay with being okay. Cause Mm -hmm. the other piece too, that I have to be honest about is if it's not struggle. So a nothing should be struggle. Everything should be easy as one side or the other side. If it's not struggle, if things are going well, I think sometimes it's easy to get preoccupied with when is the shoe going to drop? How can I, how can I plan for the next terrible thing or the next hard thing or the, you know, whatever it is. And I think what we want to be about and why we think community is kind of important is that when I'm having like a shit day, having people that aren't having a shit day that can like <laughs> talk me through it. Like my, a couple of my friends are doing really well in their careers right now. And it has been so great to have them around because they have, a, they remind me that, yeah, even if I was killing it in all aspects of all of the different careers that I do, there would still be stress. There would still be problems. So I hope that having people in our lives that are in various stages of feeling great about things or worried about things kind of helps us maintain. Like I, I was really devastated one time over not something not working out. My friend one time said she was going to hold on to hope for me until I was ready to hold it. And then she said, and then there'll come a time when I need you to do the same for me. And I think that's the, that's been really helpful for me is like kind of regulating my central nervous system by being around people who are in a different stage or place. And that's the benefit of community. And even when community has been toxic, finding one that's not, or finding even a couple of people who you can just sit with and be like, I, I'm, I'm freaking out. Should I be freaking out? Like what, <laughs> when I tell you this, how do you react? How do you feel? Um, I think it's helpful. And it's scary for those of us who have had people who have been manipulative in our lives or been kind of about a company, the company man for a church or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. learning to trust those relationships again. I'm not saying it's easy either. So it kind of comes back down to a lot of, if you haven't listened to the episode with Brad Onishi, it was really good because it reminded me that like a lot of the work is learning to trust ourselves. And that's really hard because that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. And and trusting yourself is it obviously our relationship to ourselves and you are in relationship to yourself is different than every other human relationship because you see what you do and you see the intent behind the things you do and you see all the ways in which you maybe wanted to do the wrong thing, but ended up doing the right thing, you know? So I, I tend to do that to myself. Like, oh, wow, you, uh, if it was a sermon, let's say like, oh, wow, that was an amazing sermon. Like you don't know the anger and the anguish and the, like, I wanted to cuss most of you out, like in the process of coming to this sermon, you just saw the finished result and I'm glad it was encouraging, but I tend to downplay my own success because I know all the behind the scenes stuff that went on. And so your relationship to yourself is different. And so I think trusting yourself is different. Like you almost right. have to give more grace to yourself than you would any other human being, because you know, all the mistakes you've made and 
you all, but you also were there for all the successes as well, but you tend to minimize the successes and overplay the, the mistakes. So it's, it, we can't judge ourselves all that to say the same standard that we would maybe another person, because you are not going to see their full story. Oh no. Yeah. You only can, can observe your own full story. And so like, yeah, sure. Trust yourself, Justin, but man, I know all the ways Justin has screwed up more than anyone else. Yeah. I need you to like, understand how screwed up that person is. Yeah. This person is deeply troubled, but I think it's like, we all are, but no one is going to have the same experience of me as me as me. And, and I have to continuously lean on myself in some ways in spite yes. of that. Yes. To be like I, I, and, and know where I can't trust myself. Like some sometimes I can't trust myself to tell myself the right information because I am so in my head or I'm so whatever. And then, yeah, you have to go outside to see other people's perspectives. And I think it, it's, it is such a unique relationship to have, but to not trust yourself, I think is it's, it's debilitating and it's, again, it is a challenge and it is a challenge that we're, I think those of us that came out of church are uniquely going to struggle with. And I don't know, I don't have like a nice bow to put on that other than to say <laughs> like, if it's super hard for you and you're in your forties, fifties, maybe even sixties, that's not entirely your fault. And that's okay. And nor is it like a for like, it's also a spectrum thing in that like, there'll be days that you can and there'll be days that you can't and both are normal. And so if you're feeling in particularly disconnected from yourself, it's okay to say, man, I'm going to give myself some time on this. It's the whole thing of my friends having to say the extreme of you're not moving to Japan. If you take this job, Sarah, you can walk away from it if you need to. Mm-hmm. Right. But I have spent so long committing to things. And then like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And so being playful with, well, yeah, give this a try. And if in a month you can't afford your bills and you're not, you are still drowning, then you got to do something else. And that's privilege for sure. But also I think it's recognizing where I'm at and what my situation currently is and what it really is. And I just cannot enough say how grateful I am for this community, for the recovery room that is Discord. Sometimes I just go through and read people's comments to each other as if they're saying them to me um, because they're so encouraging. And, and it's funny too, just knowing that there are people out there who have gone through this. Like, Justin, before you and I started working together, I remember days when I'd be in the trailer knowing that you and I were going to like talk the next day or whatever. And I'd be like, you know what? If Justin, I'm sure he felt like this after he left his per- position. So, this like feeling of I'm nothing. What did I just do? How am I ever going to be okay again? Knowing that someone, another human that you actually know has gone through that similar experience, maybe not exact, for some reason is capable. It makes me feel capable of moving to the next step. And so my hope is that you, our listeners, can kind of be that for each other and be that for yourself and learn how to like balance some of this stuff out. And, you know, life after (laughs) leaving the stained glass or life after becoming aware of what the stained glass really is and isn't. Because, man, don't you just wish the prosperity gospel was true? Like, if we just got it right, we get all the things. Wouldn't that be great? I named it and claimed many things. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, if that's how that worked, which is just like, I don't know, it's like the diet secret, you know, kind of thing. I, yeah, it would be great. But it's okay that it doesn't. 
Because I think being able to cultivate your own internal resources is much more rewarding. And long lasting. You use the diet reference and it really is it, right? Sure, there's tons of magic bullets out there, right? But really, it's taking you a lifetime to get used to this brain. It's going to take as much time to just sort of figure out how to not be anxious as things change. Sure. So give yourself, and the world is difficult right now, guys. You know, uh, I don't know if you've noticed. I don't know if you've noticed. We like potentially are about to start World War Three, and so no wonder your central nervous system is like, "You want to start a new job now? Are you crazy? <laughs> what are you doing? You should um, be digging a hole. <laughs> yeah, get into said hole with as many canned <laughs> items as possible. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, crazy times. Yeah, friends. Thank you. Uh, Stick around for the poem. And yeah, reach out to us. Let us know. Do you feel the same way about committing to something new? Does your body go into a panic system? Are you the one adult who everything works for? And like, if so, like, we'd love to have you as a guest. Yes, please, Joe. Come tell us your secrets. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you are enjoying the conversations you hear on RevCovery, you can continue the conversation with us and many more incredible people in the RevCovery room on Discord. To access our Discord, please join our Patreon to become part of the RevCovery room community. You can join for as little as $4 a month, and this helps us produce the show as well as gives you access to the community resources. Check it out at www.patreon.com revcovery. We know that not everyone is able to financially support the show, but there are lots of ways to support us, including giving us a five-star review wherever you're listening right now. And make sure to like and subscribe across all social media. Recovery Room is our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook handle, so you can find us there to keep the conversation going. Another live event is coming up, and we want to meet you face-to-face. Our friend Trip Fuller of the Homebrew Christianity Podcast is throwing what can only be described as the ultimate podcast party, and you all are invited. Theology Beer Camp is a three-day theology, podcast, beer, nerd fest. It sounds like a great time. And for $50 off registration, make sure to put RevCovery in the discount section. So come thirsty and get ready to get nerdy for three days of theological zest. Uh, That's going to be October 13th through the 15th in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. You can check it out at theologybeer.camp. And don't forget to use our code. Gets you $50 off. We would love to see you there. Now on to some final thoughts and this week's poem. Friends, thanks once again for sticking around for another episode of Rev Covery. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, particularly around this idea of trusting ourselves. It's been a conversation that's been in the Discord a lot. It's been in a conversation I've had a lot with all of you who have been reaching out. So thank you so much, guys. When you respond to the episodes, it means so much to both myself and Justin. So thank you for doing that. As always, we like to offer a reading at the end, if you will, something, whether it's a quote, a song lyric, a poem. I happen to be obsessed with John O'Donohue, so you guys hear a lot of that poet. But I want to share with you just something that kept popping in my head as we're talking about trusting ourselves as one of the hardest parts of our journey. And that's the song lyrics from none other than Bob Dylan. This is Trust Yourself. And I'm going to read the first two verses. Trust Yourself. Trust yourself to do the things that only you know best. Trust yourself. Trust yourself to do what's right and not to be second-guessed. Don't trust me to show you beauty when beauty may only turn to rust. If you need somebody you can trust, trust yourself. 
trust yourself. Trust yourself to know the way that will prove true in the end. Trust yourself. Trust yourself to find the path where there is no if and when. Don't trust me to show you the truth when the truth may be only ashes and dust. If you need somebody you can trust, trust yourself. Friends, I know this journey is difficult when it comes to trying to figure out how to trust ourselves. But may you know that we are here with you in this journey and we are grateful to be part of it. So until next week, thank you for joining us here on RevCovery. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.